You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. The character's almost taken on a life of his own, and I've taken to calling myself Rambo's father. Uh, and he's, I mean, because he sort of, he has grown up, as it were. The Oxford English Dictionary has officially declared Rambo as a word. Author David Morrell. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Rambo's dad is 80 today, April 24th. It was back in 1972 that the character Rambo made his first appearance in the then 28-year-old David Morrell's novel First Blood. That was the first of three Rambo books that David Morrell authored. Since then, the Rambo character has become a fixture of American pop culture. Of course, all the movies with Sylvester Stallone didn't hurt. I first met David Morrell in 1990 when he was on tour to promote his book The Fifth Profession. So here now from 1990... David Morrell. The Fifth Profession, first of all, is about executive protectors, which is uh, the, the official term for high-tech uh, security specialists, bodyguards for people like Donald Trump. And I call it the most noble uh, because it's the only profession I know in which someone agrees to die for someone else out of loyalty, uh, out of, I'm sure they're getting paid, but it's principally because of loyalty and, and a sense of devotion. How is that a great deal different than the patriot who dies for his country? Uh, in, in that case, they're dying for, uh, as you say, the country, for the nation, for the republic. But in this case, it's one person giving up his life willingly for another person. Uh, a very rare thing. And someone that you might not know. You know I mean, one can imagine, to say, a mother uh, running into a burning house to rescue a child. But here's somebody that you are not connected to by blood or anything else. It's just that you have given your word in exchange for money that you will protect this person to, to the death. Uh, and it's, it's a very strange concept. Do you have to have a death wish of some kind to be one? Uh, well, I don't know. I examined this in, in the fifth profession, and uh, it's, it's not a death wish so much. I think it's a, it's a terrible need to be useful, a uh, terrible need to, to, to feel uh, irreplaceable in someone's life. Taken to a, to an extreme. I, I, yes, to to an extreme that. Plus, I think a pride in the craft because you have to have. Most of these people have been, first of all, among elite cadres in the military. And the savage in the fifth profession is a, a former SEAL, for example, which is probably the best unit that we have in the United States. And then then you have extra training that you get from uh, special schools to become an executive protector and. Uh, I mean, there can't be but, you know, a handful of really brilliant ones uh, in the United States. And um, they, uh, they, that's, I mean, they get paid so much simply because they are that way, because they're so well trained. And uh, it's, I've, I've seen some of these people. I've been trained myself by some of these people. And it is really remarkable to see the intensity, uh, the, 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 the single-mindedness that these people have. You spent some time under G. Gordon Liddy, didn't you? Uh, G., uh, Liddy had something called the G. Gordon Liddy Academy of Corporate Security and Private Investigation. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's now defunct, but uh, he had it a couple of places in the country. I took it outside New York City. And it was ex-FBI, ex-CIA people, along with, um, oh, say, the person from the U.S. Marshal Service who had been in charge of protecting uh, Hinckley after the attempt on uh, former President uh, uh, Reagan's life. And 
Um, we learned an extraordinary amount about uh, executive protection, about uh, surveillance, about electronic security, about electronic uh, uh, eavesdropping and things like that. We just uh, combat shooting. A, a little bonus was that the president's son, Ron Reagan Jr., was also at the course with me. And uh, fascinating stuff. Had you taken the course just on a lark or, or in preparation for the book, or, or, or did you really want to learn these techniques? Well, no. In, in my business, uh, uh, the, the, I think the thing that distinguishes um, um, my work from a lot of thrillers is that I, I go out and I do the homework. I try hard to, 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 to learn as much as I can about what these people in the books are supposed to know. And when I heard about the course, I said, I've got to take this. It was three weeks, mind you. And it was every day. Uh, but the issue was that I was picking up information that civilians normally would never be able to get their hands on. And, I, and then, you know, you sift through it and you say, oh, you know, I've never read a book about executive protection. I think it's time that we did something along that line. And so, I, you know, I went through all my notes and all the things that I've been taught and, and put them into this book. And uh, I think people will be fascinated by the, the, the character in The Fifth Profession because Savage is, is uh, the kind of uh, character that you seldom run across. Uh, he's, he's really unique. You can't have a character like this named Bruce, can you? I mean, he, he has to have a name like Savage or, or like Rambo. You've got to have a name like that, don't you? Well, yeah, well, Rambo was uh, it was a funny one because um, actually he's named after an apple. I was looking for – this is the honest to God truth. Um, I, when I was working on First Blood, uh, I, I, I wanted a character's name with some punch. And my wife came home, you know, and I was going to, you know, what could it be? And my wife came home from the grocery store, and she said, I just found this new kind of apple. And I said, oh, what's it called? And she said, Rambo. And I thought, oh. Oh my! What a wonderful name. So that he's named after an apple. But now with Savage, I, I have another novel called The Totem, in which I call the main character Slaughter. Uh, uh, and uh, for in this particular case, I uh, I I don't know. It, it it's it, uh, we never learn his first name, uh, and it, it's just the idea that uh, somehow the you know the last name would suggest to say the kind of uh, lifestyle perhaps that that he lives. Although uh, executive protectors is a rule do not resort to violence. Their primary purpose is to protect, not to be antagonistic. But I've noticed in fiction that the the names you choose for your characters, even even a a perfectly innocuous choice to you may, in the reader's mind, the reader can form an entirely different impression. I was always struck on the television show Ironside. I mean, here's the perfect name for that character. Here's this this tough old guy who refused to be sunk even though he was in a wheelchair. He's Ironside. And here's you got Savage. And uh, I mean, that really, I mean, even though he doesn't go around savagely cutting up people, but the images there. Well, you know, what it gives you, uh, a name like that gives you a lot of mileage because even in scenes where people are Discussing matters which which are important to the plot, but uh, and characterization, but but which might not have intense action in them. There's that that even by the name, you have that sense of the latent uh, fear, the paranoia, the the latent possibility of danger that's lurking in this man's world all the time. Now he's a he's a I think you'd agree with me, kind of a macho kind of guy. It, is the fifth profession a male-only profession? Well, uh, no, no, no. There are women uh, uh, who are also in it. Uh, as a matter of fact, the whole point is that uh, un- uh, while the public thinks of protectors as being sort of like Mr. T, uh, I, I, uh, he, in my opinion, he would not make a very good one because, I mean, I'm sure he would be 
effective in you know beating off swarms of fans from movie stars and what have you. But uh, Donald Trump, uh, for example, would have no use for Mr. T to protect him. The whole idea is that you want this person to be nearly invisible. They're not tall. They're not heavily muscled. Uh, they dress casually. Uh, the things you notice most about them are their hands are out of their pockets. They're not smoking. They're not drinking coffee. They're ready with their hand. And their eyes are never directed toward their client, but always directed toward the crowd, you know, and they're assessing. And, and uh, women, um, uh, I've met several women uh, executive protectors who are extremely good at it, among other things, because uh, the average person on the street wouldn't expect a woman to be an executive protector. After this short break, more from David Morrell on the persona and psyche of Rambo. Now back to my 1990 interview with David Morrell. Are Secret Service agents good executive protectors? Oh yes, I mean obviously these are these are people that are, that are trained. I mean they've devoted their lives to it, and I mean anybody who will throw themselves upon somebody who's being shot at is obviously um, you know somebody uh, that, that has understood the whole logic of the, 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 the dignity and the loyalty in in the profession, and I've I've watched them uh, um, with. During presidential campaigns, you know, you can see and watch them how they herd the crowd and, and protect the uh, the candidates. And I mean, obviously, very very skilled. But I mean, uh, um, Savage is a, is a man of, in the private sector, and and I mean, it's amazing, you know, given terrorism, particularly uh, these days, it's amazing uh, how many uh, very important uh, executives in the private sector have executive protectors watching over them. You also burst one of my bubbles. Here I've been all my life planning on being rich and famous so that I can enjoy all the perks of being rich and famous. And then you have Savage telling me, well, no, you can't drive a big fancy Rolls Royce because it'll draw attention to you. You can't have this panoramic window with a view because terrorists and snipers can get you. Am I going to have to closet myself away and, and drive a, a, a Chevy Nova? <laughs> well, there, it is true. Uh, uh, it, it depends. See, when you, when you sign on, they, they do what they call a risk assessment. And if if you're not in any particular danger, um, the, the executive protector would probably have no problem with you. You know, okay, get in the limo, go to the whatever it is that you're going to. The limo, of course, would have bulletproofing and you know special glass and all of that. But uh, th there wouldn't be that sense of paranoia. But as soon as you get into a situation where uh, let's say you were received threats to be kidnapped or something like that. Well, you wouldn't ever uh, be driving around in, in such a fancy car, although the car you would use would have an awfully hot engine and it would have some wonderful devices on it and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and the bulletproofing and all of that. But in addition, you wouldn't even ever use the same routine the same day or you know day after day you you drive in different ways and uh, they got several dictators that way uh, assassinated them because the 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 people always took the same route from the airport to the uh, to the you know whatever mansion they were using and so it's 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 uh, um, what i call a condition of symbiosis what happens is that you have an employer uh, who is supposed to in effect tell you what he or she is doing, you know, I'm going here, I'm going there, but the executive protector, if, uh, in, in the best sense, will then turn around and give orders to the employer and say, you can do this and you cannot do that. And as Savage explains in the fifth profession, that you, you cannot... 
uh, you, you have to judge your clients uh, wisely before you take them on because uh, some clients simply will not take orders. And so what's the point of having an executive protector? I talked to so few authors in here, even authors of, of, of great repute, who have created a single character who has become such a part of the American society as Rambo has become. I mean, this, is, this character has really taken on a whole life of his own. When you're at the grocery store, do people say, hey, that's the guy, that's the guy, he made up Rambo. Yeah, I get that a lot. You know, but you, what you're right is he, the character has almost taken on a life of his own, and I've taken to calling myself Rambo's father. Uh, and he's, I mean, because he sort of, he has grown up, as it were, uh, and, and gone off. I mean, you know, Sylvester Stallone uh, has his version of him on film. And, and I have to emphasize that the novels and the films are, are different in many respects. There's a, there's a very strong uh, amount of characterization and indeed philosophy in the novels that you don't find in the movies because the movies don't have time to do it. They're busy blowing up objects <laughs> and doing it very well. Um, but um, what happened with me was that uh, after a while I got so used to uh, hearing about Rambo that I, it takes me about 10 seconds now uh, to, to say, hey, wait a minute, that's my guy. I was, you know, there was a basketball player that got injured the other night, and the announcer said, oh, well, he's just like Rambo. He keeps getting out there and getting hit and falling down, but he gets up and he, he comes back. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I said, wait a minute, Rambo, that's my guy. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Uh, I, I, I received, in a sense, uh, one of those ultimate compliments recently, the Oxford English Dictionary, which is the standard uh, for the language has officially declared Rambo as a word, and it's in the new edition, and it credits me as the creator of the word, and uh, you know has a definition which I don't quite agree with, which is that it you know it's it's sort of synonymous synonymous with being macho, and macho itself is a bad connotation, and I see Rambo as being a much much more complicated character, a person who was conditioned by his country to do certain things and then not unconditioned, not deconditioned. Uh, he's, uh, and uh, this is the same uh, problem that Audie Murphy went through when mm -hmm. he came back from World War II. And um, Rambo is a man who hates himself for what he is, but uh, who on occasion is forced to do, uh, to be what he is, to do the things that he was trained to do in order to save his life. And uh, it is it, a paradox involved here. You know, the man hates himself. Yeah, as, as I was just going to ask you, you, as much of an icon as Rambo has become, there's a, an offshoot that's gone the other way, and you, I'm sure you hear all the, the re reference to the, quote, Rambo mentality. Oh, yes. And, and it used in a disparaging way. Well, when I was in London a couple of years ago, um, I, what is this, 80, I guess it would be 86, I was doing a book tour over there. And I woke up uh, to read the headline from the London Times, which said, uh, U.S. Rambo jets bomb Libya. Now, you know, I mean, now <laughs> I thought, give me a break, you know. I mean, you know, I've got nothing to do with U.S. government policy. But, but more than that, you know, the connotation, Rambo is the kind of guy that uh, I thought it was very appropriate at the beginning of Rambo III, the film, that he should be in a Zen Buddhist monastery because he's, you know, trying to hide out. He's trying to get away from the world and all that, you know, this, the, the violence. But, uh, you know, the world being what it is, it, it comes to him. As we mentioned at the outset today is David Morell's 80th birthday. His last novel was published in 2010. And you can find links to First Blood and to The Fifth Profession in our show notes or at our website, heardeverything.com.
And while you're at HurtEverything.com, don't miss my 1997 interview with the creator of The Bone Collector, Jeffrey Deaver. I wanted to create a whole person who was yet not whole, who had this terrible affliction that had so altered his life, and yet he still has the depth that anyone else has. And my 1987 interview with the master of the techno thriller, Tom Clancy. I sit down and I plug my words together and I try to tell a story. Whether I do that better or worse than anyone else uh, is for the public to judge, not for me. I do the very best I can, and if people like it, so much the better. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. I do hope you'll subscribe today if you haven't already. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, my 2011 interview with the great-granddaughter of our 31st president, Herbert Hoover, the conservative commentator Margaret Hoover. What I realized as I was writing the book is that actually Herbert Hoover is a millennial spirit, 80 years before the millennials. This, I think, channels the ethos of the millennial generation. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.